Hello, this is Edgar Papke. This is Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. We talk about all things alignment, and we're broadcasting from... Live from the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. In the United States of America. Indeed, indeed in the U.S. How's everyone doing out there? Well... Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Edgar. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Ken looks over his shoulder. I was like, how's everybody doing out, out there? Out there has a All different the meaning when you're on the air like this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're supposed to answer or others are supposed to answer. Well, they can answer if they email us at info at com. And if you need any further things, go ahead and look towards... Uh, <laughs> All questions, thoughts, and comments are welcome at info at truealignment.com. Please join us as, as we're on the air. So, yeah, we welcome all comments, all thoughts, and thank you, Jim. Of thank course. you, as always, for being here with us. It's always a pleasure to be here right. with you guys. How's life treating you? Uh, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. And how are you treating life? I'm trying to treat it the best I can. You know, it's doing pretty good to me, so I try to give it back. And in your life as an entrepreneur, how's the, how's the uh, TS Carpentry doing? We're picking up. We're finally got the shop kind of organized and got our workflow kind of worked out. And uh, we're getting going. We said a couple of weeks or so ago that we would check in with you periodically. Uh, so you have your, uh, you've got a painter, uh, a finisher, and uh, and uh, the shop's up and running. You got some new equipment in there, and sales are sales are good. I hear. Yeah, they are good. They are good. Uh, yeah, my partner and I are just trying to keep up, and um, you know, it's been really awesome having a new employee. Uh, our finisher's been rocking it you know he's saving us so much time that we don't have to go and do those painting or finishing mm -hmm. so uh, yeah we're trying to get the workflow always a great lesson to learn very early on in your days as an entrepreneur that you begin as an entrepreneur by doing a lot of things and if you really want to grow your business your your transition to moving from the doer to the leader and and to be the business strategist and thinker and uh, that's how you grow a business. And, and unless you have that mindset, it's going to be difficult. You can grow a business by, by all means and stay involved. And at some point, and we know this from our coaching work with leaders in business, at some point you've got to make the transition, be, be a business leader over just the doer in the business. I think that's the biggest thing my uh, partner and I are working on right now is like, one, who we're going to hire next. And two, what more can we give up so that we can make more time? to either bring more customers in or get things done faster. Yeah, proactive in, in finding talent as opposed to waiting till you absolutely need it. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see entrepreneurs and, and business leaders will just keep waiting and waiting and and then go out and try and find the talent and then they're behind the eight ball. So stay ahead of that and the investment that you make up front and the way that you mentor and you bring people along so that they engage in and and really learn your business as being part of it, not just that they're a cog in a wheel, that they actually understand and are committed to contributing to the business all becomes part of that element as a leader of looking ahead, finding the talent, and then more than anything else, mentoring, teaching, becoming that, becoming that person, that coach, that as a leader that, uh, that people trust in. You're building that relationship of trust. Yeah. I mean, Tony and I look back at some of the jobs that we've had, and it's just... Um, you know, maybe you were promised some of the mentoring or s promised some of the coaching or promised uh, even learning. You know, we're going to send you to all of these training programs and, you know, usually never follows through. So we're really excited to change that and give our employees, one, the training that they need, and two, take them further than, you know, where they are currently or where they thought they were going. 
Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that balance between working in your business and working on your business. I mean, I think that's what I hear you talking about, Edgar, is, you know, talent, talent acquisition and figuring out who you need and what you need to do next is working on your business. And, you know, I always say to an entrepreneur, take the time. If you really want to, however many hours you're spending, figure out which ones you're working in the business and which ones are on the business. And then that transition, you know, I hear some of that, Jim, you're talking about that transition and, and this idea of, you know, you go from being good at your job and you're an employee and then you go into a leadership and that's the switch, right? Where you're working, you're no longer doing the work, but you're planning, you're strategizing, you're growing. Um, and how do you move from one space to the next? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is the, um, Edgar, you're so good. So you have the, you have a memory of an elephant because we did talk about that a few weeks ago to, to, to talk to Jim about how the business is going. And so good, good, good memory. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting enough. My, that was what my dad called me, called me the little elephant when I was a kid. I think it had more to do with my weight and my years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah, used to call me the elephant baby in, in German. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I still remember that. And I, I didn't like it back then. I, in hindsight, I don't think it's that endearing after all. <laughs> Well, but, you know, neither neither one of our memories were really good because on Friday we had this really great conversation about what we were going to do on the podcast, uh-huh. and then neither one of us could remember. Yeah. <laughs> That'll happen. You can blame it on a lot of things. But I, but I think as we started to have a conversation on the last podcast, we really um, we talked about mm-hmm. some things that led us to this place, about this conversation, about some of this transition from, you know, uh, employee – to leader and, mm-hmm. and, and how that takes place. We, we were telling the story of, of, uh, of, of apprenticeship models. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking that, you know, the old school apprenticeship models are just so good Yeah, where you can sit with an expert and you can pick up and watch. And they're even better if that expert says, here's why I do this and here's what I see and here's what I'm looking at. Um, yeah. I worked, so the storyline for me is that I worked from, for my uncle when I was younger and he had his construction business and it was mostly masonry work. And, um, I would be doing all the, he, just about anything I was learning, he was beside me and showing me and, and teaching me. And then of course, you know, I had to do it on my own. And at first it was, you know, carrying blocks, it's, it's moving and hauling materials from one end of the construction site to the other. And then that evolved into now you're going to start mixing, you know, cements and, you know, doing this and that. And then one day it's, you know, pick up the trowel. You know, I'm going to show you how to handle a trowel. And um, and he'd be right next to me and he'd show me the techniques. And, you know, here's how you hold it. And this is what you're doing is you're twisting your wrist as you're plastering a wall. And just a little refinements that, that, that he went with. And then eventually, and this is what I remember most about it, it became a race. And the race was a way of the repetitious learning. You know, when we think about training, we think about practice, we think about mentoring, the patience to, to let someone repetitiously learn and then give them feedback, that's really great coaching. And I took it for granted back then, and I can still pick up a trowel today and plaster a wall if I had to. And, uh, and then we'd have this race. And then, you know, I try, I try and keep up with them. And of course, in my keeping up with him, I wasn't as refined as he was. He would put down just a perfect level of plaster against a wall. And just, he had that refined touch. 
And it was learning what that refined touch felt like and show me mine and say, look how uneven it is. And I thought I did a great job. I thought I kept up with them, and I didn't. And so, you know, going back and, and looking at it and getting the feedback loop, and that's what I think uh, you, the recognition here is that you're, you're taught, you're, you're taught uh, the language that goes with it, the understanding of what you're doing, and then that continuous feedback loop of being coached. And I, I, I think today we call it coaching back then. It really was apprenticeship to, to a great degree of what that looked like. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was trying to, as you're sharing that story, I'm trying to come up with uh, whether or not I have ever had that version. I had a much more passive version. You know, I grew up in a family. My father was, an, was mm-hmm. a mechanic. And, and he would explain to me kind of how things worked, but it was more watching of handing him the tools. That was my dad. Right. And so... Um, or, you know, being the laborer, right? Uh-huh. I had uncles who were roofers and, you know, we, we had a, a, a quite Amish family. Everybody was building each other's homes. And, you know, so when I was younger, of course, I got to carry the cinder blocks and, and you know, I got to do all the labor stuff uh-huh. um, with the hope that I would swing the hammers eventually. Right. And, and I did, but it was, it was passive. So, you know, I learned a lot through trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is when I work on the cars, like I can work on the cars, um, it probably takes me four or five times the amount of time to do it <laughs> as somebody who does it for real. Right. Um, right. Because I'm not sure of some of these shortcuts and, and, and things like this that you get from, from, from being able to watch and absorb. But, you know, in my professional life, and those are the things that bring me joy to do those kinds of things with my hands. And, um, you know, I, I think I've shared with you before, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, Jim, you know, as I, you know, one of my midlife, uh, as you call them, opportunities is a reclamation of my blue-collar roots. Um, and so I love to do those things with my hands and see the results of, of that kind of work, um, whether it's, you know, home improvement stuff or things on the cars or my classic pickup truck. Um, those bring me joy. But, you know, in my professional life, which which has some, some uneasy separateness for me, um, in my professional life – you know, the model of, well, I'll just say it. There's no one, there's no one to coach you. You still have to do the same absorption model as, you know, you have to watch your bosses. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, in the, for years that I spent in the teaching and learning space, people want to know what's the best thing I can do in a classroom. You say, well, there's research around these things. And they would try and pick them up and plop them down. And I would say that's the wrong thing to do. You don't just pick up what somebody else does in the way they do it because that's uh-huh. that's customized for them. Yeah, you have to make it yours. You have to make it yours. Yeah. And and you have to you have to know why people choose to do those things and when they choose to make these interruptions, conversations, questions, etc. But I find myself more and more that it is difficult to find a leader who wants to teach people how to do what they do. I mean, maybe this is the leadership vacuum that we, we talk about every once in a while is because the only model people see yeah. is they see what their leaders do and then they just try and repeat it. Yeah. Yeah, and if people are looking uh, for a different form of leadership, if they're already looking for more and want, uh, yeah, they want better leadership, then that that's the vacuum and stepping into that and trusting in yourself to be able to, 
to lead. Um, and, and it is very intuitive at times. And, it, and I think there's a real integration here we're talking about. And that's the integration of watching someone and then participating with someone. And I think there's a vast difference there. As you explained that, it, kind of, it came to mind that through the years um, of inviting people and having people to co-facilitate workshops with me, um, it's been interesting. I'll ask them to co-facilitate, and yet most of the time they're just watching it. And then after the fact, they'll say, well, I thought about this or that. And then the question is, well, what kept you from jumping in? Well, I'm not so sure. I wasn't, hey, take the risk. Yeah, uh, I've been in those shoes, yeah. co-facilitating with you. So it's and I've been, like, go, I've been in go. that passive seat. And, you know, part of it was, and you, you did a really, really wonderful thing um, mentoring me, Edgar, um, a few weeks ago is, you know, I had really kind of, I was wondering if my role was to represent true alignment. Mm -hmm. And you said to me, you do you. You go be you because it's going to work just fine. And I think, you know, being in that seat and saying, you know, I'm not co-facilitating as much as I could because I think from, from my perspective, I was nervous that it wasn't going to be exactly right. And what I've learned from working with you for a long time is we're not in search of right. Yeah, I'll take complete ownership over that one because it's not, <laughs> that's, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. I, but, I, you know, I think that, that is, that was, that's based on time spent with you. Right. I mean, and I didn't, um, I think, you know, the leader follower relationship is this idea too, that you, um, it takes a lot of a follower to come into anything and then say, well, we're going to appear as equals here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> We need to show up this way or want to show up this way is even yeah. a better way to look at it. When you were, yeah. you were challenging, uh, Jim and I is before we were getting on the air to talk about some of the words and, um, you know, you had, uh, you had said to me, he's, you saw something I had posted on LinkedIn and you had challenged me to move from the I language to the we language. Okay. And, and, you know, I, um, you know, just like, you know, we, we show up when we co-facilitate a meeting as equals, we're, we're the we there. Right. Um, and that's an important part of mentoring too, is to figure out when we're a we and when we're an I. I agree. I agree with that. I, I My tendency here is to lean into context, right, and say, well, what what's the context and what's required in the moment and who is it that we're being in service to and how we how are we being in service to, to that individual customer, client, whoever it happens to be, in the role of leader to mentee or the mentoring leaders, um, being able to being able to provide a context that brings people into the we fold that we can do this, I think is so powerful um, because a lot of times uh, when people are being mentored into leadership roles, I think the thing that may be holding their development back more than anything else is the seeking or waiting for permission. And so we need to be able to have some clarity and yeah, and bring some meaning to the words that we're using. So what is this? What, what is your, what is your role? And let's bring some meaning to that. What, let, let's talk about what co-facilitation means and let's have a conversation about what that actually looks like and perhaps to explore what might it look like in different contexts or in different situations. What does that look like? 
uh, what kind of agreements do we have uh, in our role definitions as well as in our relationship that allows us to be able to um, navigate different contexts, different situations. I think it's really interesting um, that over time, those become much more fluid and much more, um, not, not to say that we need to be assumptive, but rather we need to be able to lean into the relationship and trust in the relationship. So at times, I know now when you and I are in a room together, very often it's, it's just a glance. It's a quick eye contact. It's a quick smile. And then there is, yeah, we, we see that there's an agreement on a path. And sometimes I'm still surprised by it yeah. and pleasantly surprised by it because all of a sudden yeah. you, you, you take it somewhere else. And I'm like, holy cow, I didn't even see that. And so I think the leader, if you're doing a great job of coaching and mentoring as a leader, I think part of that is that you're constantly learning. It's it's that old adage that to be to, to be a teacher, you need to be a learner. And I think to be a leader, you need to be a lifelong learner. And I think the context of coach to mentor, as mentor to mentoree, is it mentee? Mentee. Mentee. Hey, I'll just back it up and say yeah. I'm a foreigner, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the foreigner with the lousy vocabulary. And so it's... Uh, I look at it through that lens and I say, I think some of the greatest lessons I've learned about myself and how I do what I do is in situations like when I'm in a room with you and we're working together or, 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 or other people and, and where it's not just the passive. I, I agree with you that all too often the, the whole idea of mentoring and, and as people are intending to learn how to lead or it's to, to be better leaders, it's, it's not active enough. It's, it shows up as being passive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes when a mentor asks a mentee, you know, what do you want? Um, you know, here's, here's what I want. I, I want to grow. I want to learn new things. I want to help others. Those are, those are words that are not necessarily, they're journey words rather than destination words. Say more if you would. So, um, you know, I think that those are words of, well, I mean, I think one of the things that you and I, we, we get along is because our lives are a little explorative. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, I do think. <laughs> but, you know, meaning that we're, you know, we just have these kinds of interest in, in, in lots of different things and, and we try and uh, mash them together and see where intersections are and we try and figure out you know, what, what is going to become. It's not, we haven't identified the top of the hill that we're, that we're, that's the thing we're going after. It, it's, there's more fluidity to it. it. It's more a component of, of the work we do uh -huh. grows because of the way we do the work. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. Um, it is that conversation of what does the relationship look like? And I know this is going to sound a little bit repetitive from our past podcast and conversation, and it is, uh, and intentionally so, because it reminds us then that how much of this is about the relationship, trust, and which is why I think most great mentoring relationships are when the mentee finds the mentor and, and makes that choice. I, I don't think programs where you have assigned mentors actually works that well, at least from what I can tell from practical experience. And I, I believe there's probably some studies that would, that would align to that. So what does the relationship look like? Uh, when is it uh, intended and what does active mentoring look like as opposed to passive? 
and to have those kinds of conversations I think are so important. And so you actually bring meaning to the words of what the roles are and to be able to do that yeah. uh, it becomes vital. You know, I always want to, I want to know um, what's behind the scenes, um, you know, from my, from my leaders mm-hmm. so that I can figure out, you know, and I, I will share with you, you know, one of the best, one of the best experiences that I've had in the workplace is, um, you know, he, he's, he's my friend. I mean, I've, I've written his, his kids letters of recommendation to go to college and, you know, been in his wedding and, 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 and all of these things, but you know, he ran, he runs the company that I worked for at the New York state fair for oh, years. Okay, yeah. And, and I will tell you the, there's things. And as we look around, there's a bunch of people that take their vacation time to run that attraction that we no longer run, but we ran it for, you know, they ran it, the family ran it for over 40 years. Um, and I was part of it for over 25 years, but the, the times when he would come back and sit at the grill with me while we were running the kitchen. Yeah. The times afterwards when we sit in the office and talk about employee evaluations and, and potential bonuses, he showed me the decision making that he was considering before he made decisions and invited me into a conversation of, so what do you think we should do? And I, you know, as we, uh, exited, as we exited doing that, you know, the hours that we spent together on the phone, writing the, writing the letters, um, you know, to the, to our internal folks that had worked for us, some of them for, you know, 20, 30 plus years to the, to the, the state fair itself, but then also to, to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, spending hours on framing that message and who are we and who are our customers and what does that mean? And, you know, those, those kinds of, neither one of us would have said that those were mentor mentee conversations. Oh, but they were Edgar. Oh, they are. They were, they were so, so perfect. And and here's why I think they were perfect because I got to see a little bit of where the decision-making was coming from. And then I knew what I could go teach myself to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. I knew, um, where decision points were made so I could help the organization by easing those decision points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could point it out that way. So I think that's one way, even in a, you know, he never said to me, go do this. And I, I always tease him cause I, I think the year that he genuinely began to trust me was, was the year where we had a little bit of a, we had a giant weather issue and without being asked or told, I just jumped in and, and fixed it. Mm-hmm. And that was the time when he said, Oh, so you're about the organization now, not just about you. Mm-hmm. And, and we never had that. It was a kind of a silent thing, but, but there was a movement that he knew from I to we. That's really good. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still looking for it in, in this one. I'm still looking for it in this one because you got to do a lot of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's about competition here. I don't know if it's about insecurity here. Um, people are really guarded. There's very few people that want to show you. They want to show you too much. Right. I know in my leaders, um, you know, I get asked to take on these leadership roles. And then mm-hmm. um, when I ask a question, they'll be like, oh, you can't see that. 
well, why not? <laughs> like, I, that's just not a good answer, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and that's just, okay, so the, you're, you're, you're evoking a lot of the trust elements as well. Let's go back to that for a moment. So you build trust in moving from the eye to the we, the connectivity that occurs. You move, from, uh, you move towards trust and sharing competency, skills, and uh, how to make great decisions and do that competently. And then uh, you move towards trust and openness and uh, yeah, call transparency, authenticity. But really what you're doing is you're, you're, you're engaging people in a way that says, I will invite you into this circle of trust, into the, whether it's knowledge, knowing, strategy, whatever it happens to be. And we come at this over and over and over in our work, which is you cannot align an organization until you answer those questions about how do we do this together? What does that look like? What are the, what are the skills? What are the requirements that we have of one another uh, that evoke the, the trust of getting it done and doing it well? And then ultimately the trust is, are you willing to trust me as a fellow human being with, with, with the truth or whatever level that is? whether it's strategic thinking, whether it's um, the quote-unquote secret sauces of the business, whatever it happens to be, we, we need to know that. And you brought in something else that I think is so important, and that is when you begin to frame it and you think about what great mentors do, they really look at it through the lens, whether they know they're doing it or not, they're looking at it through the lens of alignment. Here's what the customer experience is intended to be. Let's begin with that. What is this business really all about? Um, let's let's talk about um, what it looks like culturally and what the impact that we have as leaders and the influence that we have on the context that we're in together. And, and then ultimately it is what is your behavior as a leader and how does that align? How do you establish the paradigms? How does your behavior reinforce and role model what it is you're looking for? And then be able to have those kinds of conversations and to be able to have those in an ongoing way. So that it, it's a, in a way, I think when it's working really well, yes, you talk about the specifics. The way that it, it evolves and is delivered is seamless. It just, it just, it all needs to be aligned and connected in some way. And whatever you're saying as a mentor, you need to show up that way for it to be believable, for, for it to be real. And then invite someone not to follow you per se, what you're really doing is inviting them to walk with you, to walk alongside of you, to make that journey and whatever it is in a given, whatever the, whatever it is that you're doing to be able to invite someone to, to actually take or take the seat beside you. I mean, let's face it. There's a reason that the co-pilot on an airplane doesn't sit behind you. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful image um, to bring forward. You know, the, it seems to me the directionality is a little, um, opposite of what we would expect, right? Because it requires the leader. And I, you know, I know in our, in our true alignment work when we're working with organizations, we really talk about, you know, in some cultures, the, well, in every culture, the role of the leader is to model how ultimately they want the customer to experience their business. Yeah. And that is, um, you, you know, we'll say those words, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of audiences that we've had, you can say those words and you get a lot of the employees say yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the leaders look a little quizzical on that. <laughs> right. Because this goes back to, to Jim's, you know, working on the business and in the business. And I, I think this is really hard because if a leader is taking that seat alongside you, mm -hmm. 
I think it might feel a little bit like they're working in the business instead of on the business, right? And working on the business is growing the people. And so that time spent, but the directionality is the leader comes to the worker uh-huh. as opposed to. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And I, and I, and I think this is Jim's point before we even start the podcast is the conversational part of that. Let's, let's have a shared terminology, a shared idea of what this relation, again, what is, and what is the intention of my actions, my behavior as a leader? And in a way, here's what I think I've, the piece of it that becomes so important is when I bring it into the spoken realm, now making what you said before is a commitment. Now, now it's a commitment. Uh, bringing it to the spoken realm, I'm setting the expectation. The expectation gets brought into the spoken realm, and that evokes the idea of commitment and trust. Are you able to keep this commitment? Do you deliver on that? And uh, what does that look like? And so, yeah, I agree that I think it's important for leaders to let people know that they are working on the business as they're developing the people around them, especially when it comes to leadership roles. Because let's look at it through this lens. All too often what happens is we develop somebody's competency so they can perform well. Then we put them in a leadership role without the mentoring, without the without the uh, skill development or coaching that goes with the new set of competencies of being a leader. And to be able to acknowledge that, be able to talk about it, to articulate it, and then have some agreement about what that looks like and what the process of being a mentee, what the process of, of this coaching and mentoring looks like. Yeah. Is it fear too, Edgar? I mean, we come back to fear a lot as, <laughs> a, do, as, a, as, a, as an emotion, you know, human trait. Um, mm-hmm. Is it fear and insecurity uh, that a leader doesn't? I've worked in many organizations and the idea of you will be really good for this organization if you go somewhere else <laughs> and come back. Yeah. Um, right? I mean, in the, in the best, you know, the, some of the largest and most successful, arguably the most successful organizations on the planet um, build from within, mm-hmm. not hire from without. And there's a, there's times when you need different things, but but we had um, <laughs> you you mentioned Starbucks. Ah, uh, Starbucks. Starbucks has been on my mind. Yeah. Well, Starbucks is revisiting, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because look who's back. So there's a. I I think that's a. Oh wow, that's a that's a really deep, rich one. Because let's go back to it then. What's the essence of the customer experience? Is about a it's a personal customer experience. Even through the drive-in window, it's it's personalized. And so when you start, and this is the integration of data, and if you start moving the deep root data, right, the AI, if you start leaning into that too much, then you're losing that that personal that personal component becomes more impersonal, and then that should start showing up in the customer experience, and then it shows up in the culture. And then you have uh, people within the culture missing that connectivity that was part of the context they were in. So then they develop their own. And so if I'm feeling ignored in one place, I'll go and start a new place where I won't be ignored. And in Starbucks version of that, it's a union, right? Yeah. So you see that happening. And then I wonder if uh, more than five years ago, how much mentoring the CEO received coming in and into that role. And so how much of it was a really clear understanding of what alignment looked like 
because certainly all the all the evidence of what's happening at Starbucks is 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 misalignment, and then you wonder how, perhaps even in that in that span of five years, that's a lot of time where even leaders within the context in their leadership roles through the organization begin perhaps to feel misaligned or losing confidence in the in the leadership at the at the higher level and what kind of connectivity is at play there. And that connectivity is so, so important to Starbucks because that's the customer experience. And does that show up internally? And does it show up in how they're developing leaders? Do we societally have a um, model of leader? I mean, the answer is yes. Yes, we, right? I mean, we aspire to a certain model of leader mm-hmm. so that when we bring in when we replace a founding CEO with the next one, right? I mean, we could talk about Apple too. When, mm-hmm. when, when Jobs uh, stepped out for a little while, was asked to step away for a little while, and how they really, you know, floundered quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't, you know, on paper, arguably, you might have brought in a better CEO. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, that's a really good argument to that. There's there's also that piece of that. That speaks, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's the contextual. There's also what does the leader bring and what are they willing to let go of? Um, we know a lot of leaders that are technically brilliant as founders of, of their enterprises and are really good and they grow to, and they're able to grow the business. And sooner or later it shows up that they have a set of weaknesses or undeveloped areas of leadership that they needed to be able to, to begin to focus on, which is where we typically come in, you know, as coaches to CEOs. And so it's, um, it is, it is about, it is about then seeing it contextually and what, what is the role that they have and the role definition that goes with it. These are all aspects of things to pay attention to. So Howard Schultz at Starbucks, what really is his role in the context of what's going on and, and uh, what he brings to the organization that somebody else may not be able to bring to it. So I think that's a part of it. Yeah, Jim. I think I've seen a lot of leaders in my life. Um, they <laughs> come off as maybe, uh, which is kind of funny the way it works out, but they come off as over-talkative or, you know, people say, well, I don't want to go to him for questions because um, he's going to talk my ear off and it's just going to end up so long. But the best part of the, about those leaders was you knew exactly what they were thinking and they shared exactly with what they know. Like I came away with some of those leaders saying, okay, well, this was his process and his thought process on solving that problem. So I can use that or I can build on that. I, th- I think that's great. And I think if in, in that, intention matters a lot. So in other words if someone comes to you as a leader with, uh, with a question, I think it's good to be able to set the intention to say, well, I'll tell you how I think, how I look at it, and I'm really interested in hearing what you think about it. You could even reverse that to say, well, I'd like to hear what you're thinking and what your questions are, and then answer it so that the, the conversation is more specific and more targeted. And I think that can be helpful as well. So I think there's some... You raise a really good piece here, Jim, and that is what's the approach, what's the intention, what's, for lack of a better term, the technique or process that you want to engage in, and how conscious of you of that process. And at the end of the day, it's much like 
uh, our intention as a business is to create a great customer experience in whatever realm it is, whatever the brand is about and, and those pieces. And so if you look at it through that lens, you'd say, well, I've got to do the same thing as a mentor. I've got to come at the mentee in the same way, which is what does their experience look like? And all too often I think leaders look at it through the lens of, well, it's my experience as a leader and forgetting that really what their intention here is and what their true, what's going to be really true value is the development of the other person. And if you really focus on the development of someone, you'll find yourself developing yourself in that moment that that's part of the process because you can't do it well until you know yourself. I can't understand you until I understand myself and I've got to be able to use that in a very uh, interchangeable and integrated way. Yeah. I feel like there was so many times in my life where I lacked the conversation or I lacked the skills to, you know, a leader was coming towards me to say, Hey, I will mentor you, you know, of course not saying anything, but I lacked the skills to say, I want that or, you know, this is what I want out of that. Mm-hmm. And um, it just went unspoken and, you know, either conflict. So, yeah. yeah. And sometimes the most powerful thing uh, as a mentor that you can do is say, how can I best help you? It's yeah. much like going to a customer and saying, how can I best serve you? You know, yeah. what does that look like? And that's not to be confused with whether you're an expert leader or servant leader or more participative leader. This is about the simplicity of your role is to help people to be more successful as a leader. That's the game. Well, I think this is, it gets lost a little bit in this, you know, I, we uh-huh. language sometimes, right? I mean, because there's still an I in there, whether it's the leader or the mentor or the mentee, there's still an I in there because Jim, you used the words, like, I have to figure out like what I wanted. And I, you know, I think that that is the, you know, the best mentors are allowing you space to answer that question too, right? Because you you get to decide, like, maybe I don't want to be, maybe I don't want a promotion. Um, you know, and I, I, I've been one to experience that guilt of being asked to, to lead things and then realizing that I don't really want to. So here's the movie reference oh. for this week. You ready? And this one just, just came to me, Edgar, as you were having that conversation. So it's the movie, the intern, the intern, Robert De Niro and Hathaway. Yeah. Have you seen is. this one? Uh huh. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice, entertaining uh, little film. But the story is near his retirement. Um, uh, Robert De Niro comes back and becomes a personal assistant for uh, a young entrepreneurial CEO who's played by Anne Hathaway, and um, she's trying to figure out to grow her business, um, sell her business. Um, she's struggling with her family because she's always working on the business, and and he really with his experience, the mentor relationships backwards in some sense, right? Because he is providing the mentoring to her. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the questions were really personal for her to answer. And, and I think that, you know, he, he got her to understand the organization in the we language, but returned, successfully mentored her as his mentee back to thinking about and what do I need from this as well? Because the I never goes away, right? In any we, there's always an I. I mean, I think that's the one thing that we miss when we're talking about it's all of this. Yeah. They, they are. They are. They're integrated. You can't do one well without the other. <laughs> you, you know, watching you, Edgar, I will, I will share with you that the, um, 
you know, we do this work around, around with true alignment and we do this work around those, those three kind of customer emotions, which ones we want to meet and what kind of culture we want. And invariably the question comes up of, well, can't we have them all? Uh-huh. Can't we balance them all? Right. It's not a, it's not a balanced game. It's not a balance because then you have to decide, then you have to decide when you're doing which one. And, and that I versus we, I mean, I think once they become integrated, that's when you become valuable to an organization. And I think uh, when a, there's that integration of the I and we that I think is fundamental to great mentorship relationships. I do. Yeah, yeah where we can take the I and understand that that, it, that is a we and the mentor has as much uh, and in very, very often has as much and more to gain than the mentee in the relationship where typically we would just say what's the mentee's gain and not realizing what the mentor is also getting out of it and being conscious of that as a mentor is, I think, really, really valuable in the leadership role to understand that. Yeah, yeah it is. I, I yeah. love your earlier point about the, you know, the finding a mentor being more successful than the uh, standardization of mentoring programs. Yeah. Um. I will share with you, I've been, we have a mentoring program that we've been doing for a long time at Regis and they would keep coming back to me. And, and I, my first three years as a mentor here, um, the first person passed away. The second person was fired. (laughs) And the third person, something happened too. So how are you doing, Ken? So when they asked me for the fourth time, I was like, you're asking the wrong person here. <laughs> Not successful in any of this. You know, the first one, of course, we couldn't do anything about. Um, but, you know, all of those uh, human beings were wonderful human beings. Um, and just, you know, I kept getting asked back because the eye was so readily apparent for people. Mm-hmm. Like the person that got fired, the person that no longer works here, they found themselves. I mean, that's what we helped them do. And they couldn't integrate it here. That's what it was. They couldn't integrate it here. Mm -hmm. Great conversation. Always is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you to all of you out there listening. Uh, As you know, all questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all are always welcome at uh, info at truealignment.com. And you can reach out to us. Jim, any last thoughts? No, I mean, I just appreciate this conversation. And I think, it, like you guys said, it goes both ways. But people need to practice and learn how to be both sides, mentor or mentee. Uh, great point. Because yeah. I think uh, I see a lot of peers that don't go out and be the mentee mm-hmm. or don't take the initiative to start the yeah, mentee. And then also I think there's a lot of instances where people in leadership roles People are identified and people say, yeah, we need you to mentor someone and uh, they don't give, give them the skills or training that yeah. goes with that and the awareness of what does is, what is good mentorship look like. So it's always a matter of learning, isn't it? It's always a matter of coaching. It's always a matter of mentoring through the system, through the organization, regardless of the size. Yeah, and I think I know yeah. some guys that could probably help with uh, organizations that need help with that. <laughs> Thanks for that little yeah. plug. Alrighty. Subtle, subtle Ken? plug. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the True Alignment Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Ken Sagendorf. And I'm Edgar Papke. We'll see you next time around. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs>